0: It's Wednesday, July 6th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, we take a deep dive into the freshwater lake origins of Big Mouth Billy Bass, the singing fish, and his riptide success in the early 2000s. And in other peak scientific innovation news, the Large Hadron Collider has been booted up once more and already discovered three new exotic particles. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Remember the late 90s when every other household suddenly had one of those singing bird clocks? Not cuckoo clocks, ordinary-looking wall clocks that, at the stroke of 12 every hour, would play the call of a different bird— Kitchy, a little annoying, slightly off-putting. I remember being at people's houses and thinking there was an actual bird in the house before realizing they had the clock. It was technology that wasn't impressive, but was painted as being innovated simply because no one had thought to use technology to do that before. But a few years later, one man saw the hourly bird songs invading people's walls and said, hold my beer. Joe Pelletieri came up with the idea for Big Mouth Billy Bass in 1998. He wasn't actually inspired by those singing bird clocks, but I was shocked to discover that he actually had the idea for his singing fish in my hometown, and not just in my hometown but outside of a store that I frequented way more than I cared to admit at the time, the then-brand-new Bass Pro Shop in Grapevine, Texas. I guess it tracks that the outdoors retailer that has basically become a Disneyland for hunting and fishing enthusiasts would inspire in animatronic singing bass. If you don't recall, Big Mouth Billy Bass is the aforementioned animatronic that's displayed on a plaque, kind of like a prize catch, and is programmed to sing different songs, either by pressing an activation button or simply with a motion sensor when someone walks by, while its mouth opens to the lyrics and its tail fin bops to the rhythm. Big Mouth Billy Bass first hit markets in the year 2000, and was an instant hit. At least for roughly a year before it graduated from joke we're all in on together to just a joke. But it all began back at the Bass Pro Shop in Grapevine, Texas, where Pelletieri first had the idea. The chain store would later go on to be the first store to sell the Big Mouth Billy Bass. The Pelletieri was the new VP of product development at Jemmy Industries, a novelty items company for things like dancing flower pots and later holiday-themed inflatables for yards. It was Pelletieri's wife Barbara who actually first came up with the idea for a singing fish on a plaque, and Pelletieri thought it was hilarious. But, quoting him in an oral history by Mill Magazine, the first prototypes were horrible, and no one but me was really excited about the project. End quote. Pelletieri explains that the early prototypes just had the mouth moving, and it was just a generic fish, not a largemouth bass. Eventually, he asked the engineers if they could make the head turn when the fish sang. Quoting again, At that point, that was a pretty state-of-the-art mechanism. Most animation for stuff like that only had one movement, where it just bounced up and down. Things weren't that sophisticated at the time. The engineers managed to get it done, and they put it on the wall of the showroom. Later on, the sales people got there, and next thing I know, my emails blow up with, where'd this fish come from and who did this fish, because no one knew I was working on it. So I said, well, it was me, but I didn't know if it was good or bad. The reaction was phenomenal, and from there, it took off. We decided on a bass because that was the most popular kind of fish and the most popular kind of fishing. I also went to a taxidermist to make it realistic looking. I'd never been to a taxidermist, but I asked him for a couple of samples to base it off of, and we picked one. It wasn't an exact copy, but it was something to base it off of. It really goes back to that head turn, though. Once Billy Bass's head turned, that's what hooked people. It was that surprise factor. That's what made it the item it would be. If it was just a wiggling fish on a plaque, we might have sold some, but it would have been long forgotten. End quote. And here's a little more detail from Ranker. Quote, Thanks to a series of pre-programmed electric motors, the singing fish is able to move its lower jaw down when supplied with the appropriate amount of power. Then, as soon as the power is turned off, the jaw closes. It's by starting and stopping the motor repeatedly that the jaw is able to open and shut at the designated times, appearing to sing along to the songs. The tail works in much the same way, relying on a power system that starts and stops to take the tail from its resting or off position against the board to its on position, causing it to appear to be flapping to the beat." End quote. And the head turn sounds like such a small detail, but I think Pelletieri's right. It's like what I said at the top about it not being the most innovative technology, but it's being applied in a weird and creative enough way to catch people's attention. And that movement in particular really sold the realism and personality of the animatronic. David Stewart, a professor of marketing at Loyola Marymount University, told Mel, quote, "...the appeal really comes from that startle factor. He looks just like a trophy fish on the wall. And then you walk by, and suddenly he would start singing. That's something not really found in novelty gifts like a chia pet or a pet rock. It does something, which is part of the appeal. I mean, what do you do with a chia pet? It's like watching paint dry." They're always the people that you don't know what to buy for, and so a novelty gift is often a very safe gift that says, we were thinking of you. I suspect that these were bought more as gifts rather than for personal use end quote. And Chris Bench, VP of Collections at the Strong Museum of Play, added, referencing novelty toys like the Rubik's Cube and Tickle Me Elmo, quote, It seems like there's sort of a snowball effect. People get it, people like it, people talk to their friends. Even before social media, they sort of went viral and would wind up on the covers of magazines and on talk shows. That always fueled the demand further. And then, you're nobody if you don't have one, end quote. That was certainly the case with the big-mouth Billy Bass. If you were at all into fishing, you were probably gifted one, if not multiple over the years. Despite spending hardly anything on marketing and relying almost entirely on word of mouth, estimates say that the Bass made Jimmy $100 million in revenue that year, and even outsold Tickle Me Elmo for nine months in 2000. And tons of famous people were seen putting them up in their homes. George W. Bush had one in his house right before moving to the White House, and that same Christmas, Bill Clinton gifted one to Al Gore, a consolation prize for losing the presidency. And The Sun reported in 2000 that Queen Elizabeth kept one on the piano at Balmoral and loved it. Though I hardly trust anything the sun says, I do like to imagine that the royal bass is still there at Balmoral, welcoming the queen every time she visits. You know, I barely remember if I ever saw one in person, which is kind of astonishing considering I now know that that bass pro shop in my hometown, where Pelletieri had the idea, apparently sold 500 big mouth Billy Basses in one hour at its peak in 2000. But, as is to be expected of a gag gift whose big selling point, at least at first, was the surprise factor of the fish starting to sing, the big mouth Billy Bass heyday was over nearly as soon as it had started. This didn't surprise or upset Pelletieri. He knew it would be a fad that would eventually die down, and was even telling buyers to back off because they were buying more product than he suspected there would be a demand for in a few months. And he was Right. But even if most people were over it, the spin-offs and copycats were waiting in the wings. Jemmy Industries themselves tried to milk it for all that it was worth. They did other types of fish and a shark, as well as a jackalope, a turkey, and later a buck. They also had a Christmas version with a little Santa hat and a Halloween version that was all bones. And besides the official Jemmy spin-offs, there were plenty of ripoff versions as well, featuring different fish and different songs, like Boogie Bass, Salmo the Salmon, and Travis the Singing Trout. But as for the first Billy Bass song... Pelletieri says the idea was always to do Al Green's Take Me to the River. The original model also came with a second song, which someone else on the team picked to be Don't Worry, Be Happy. The company hired cover artists to perform the tracks, but Al Green and his team still got the royalties. In fact, co-writer of Take Me to the River, Teenie Hodges, says that he made more money from Big Mouth Billy Bass than any song he ever recorded. Pelletieri was right about that initial song choice. While other songs are certainly fun, there's something about that one that really adds to the pathos of the gag. As Ranker put it, Not only is its signature song, Take Me to the River, hilarious in its irony—a fish stuck to a piece of wood in your living room is essentially begging you through song to set it free—but it taps into a deeper narrative about America's pursuit of freedom— After all, anyone staring into the eyes of the singing fish at the end of the workday would likely rather be down at the river too, right? End quote. In the years since, Big Mouth Billy Bass has continued to reside in the public consciousness as a relic of -of turn-of-the-century kitsch, he shows up in pop culture with surprising regularity, from The Simpsons to The Sopranos, and more recently in an episode of What We Do in the Shadows, and even on TikTok, where creative technologist Kevin Heckart connected a big-mouth Billy Bass as well as several other spin-off animals to smart speakers and regularly posts videos of them singing the different parts of popular songs, all harmonizing together. His biggest hit is Billy Bass, Tommy Trout, Frankie the Fish, and Cool Catfish performing Wellerman the big sea shanty that took over the internet last year. There's been a lot of creative things done by individuals with big mouth Billy Basses over the years. There's the Billy Bass Adoption Center located in the Flying Fish Restaurants in Little Rock, Memphis, and Dallas, where if you've gotten tired of your old Billy Bass, you can give it to the restaurant. They'll give you adoption papers and a free catfish plate, and then hang it on the wall with over 300 other Billy Bass plaques. And if you, like me, are thinking that TikTok guy is a genius connecting a Billy Bass to a smart speaker, never fear. Jemmy Industries actually teamed up with Amazon four years ago to introduce an official Alexa-enabled Big Mouth Billy Bass. Because as us millennials are constantly reminding you, it's always a good time to relive the golden years of the late 90s. Yesterday in Geneva, the Large Hadron Collider was powered back up after being down for three years for routine maintenance and upgrades, and it has already discovered three new exotic particles. Now, you may remember a few weeks ago when I shared some insights from scientists and science reporters who were starting to get a bit jaded about not having made a major discovery on the level of the Higgs boson since that elementary particle was confirmed by the LHC ten years ago. While the near-immediate discovery of three never-before-seen particles is exciting and reassuring, it's not quite the same as discovering, for example, a fundamental particle not predicted by the standard model. Still, these three new exotic particles will join the ranks of 66 hadrons that have been discovered at the LHC, and will likely be written up in the more than 3,000 scientific papers published since the LHC was first powered up in 2010. So it's not like anyone over there has been slacking but more on these new particles they consist of a new kind of pentaquark and the first ever pair of tetraquarks a little background from cern in an official press release quote quarks are elementary particles and come in six flavors up down strange charm top and bottom they usually combine together in groups of twos and threes to form hadrons such as the protons and neutrons that make up atomic nuclei More rarely, however, they can also combine into four-quark and five-quark particles, or tetraquarks and pentaquarks. These exotic hadrons were predicted by theorists at the same time as conventional hadrons, about six decades ago, but only relatively recently, in the past 20 years, have they been observed by LHCb and other experiments." End quote. The new pentaquark discovered yesterday is the first one found to contain a strange quark, and the tetraquark pair includes a double electrically charged tetraquark made up of charm and up quarks and strange and down antiquarks along with its neutral counterparts. All of which might not mean too much to most people, so what is the larger relevance here? Chris Parks, the spokesperson for the LHCB International Collaboration responsible for the new discovery, said in a statement, quote, finding new kinds of tetraquarks and pentaquarks and measuring their properties will help theorists develop a unified model of exotic hadrons, the exact nature of which is largely unknown. It will also help to better understand conventional hadrons. End quote. LHCB physics coordinator Niels Tuning added, quote, The more analyses we perform, the more kinds of exotic hadrons we find. We're witnessing a period of discovery similar to the 1950s, when a particle zoo of hadrons started being discovered and ultimately led to the quark model of conventional hadrons in the 1960s. We're creating Particle Zoo 2.0, end quote. And even though they're usually the ones making the headlines, new particle discoveries are not all that LHC does. Particle physicist Freya Blackman told Gizmodo that work at the LHC also includes studying how matter sticks together, how well-known nuclear forces work on a much more detailed level, and more. And this latest iteration of the LHC promises to deliver so much. Its upgrades include faster and more precise detectors, higher energies, and faster speeds. Yesterday, they ran collisions at a record-breaking 13.6 tera electron volts, according to CERN's Director General, Fabiola Giannotti. Parks, the LHCb spokesperson, says they're hoping this run of the collider will collect around 10 times as much data as the previous one. Within that data will be way more hadron discoveries and many more opportunities to learn more about the Higgs boson, but maybe also deeper findings about the subatomic world that go beyond the standard model of particle physics. And if they're really, really lucky, some answers about the nature of dark matter. Though, like I emphasized a few weeks ago, even when a big discovery does happen, it can still take years or generations for it to be fully understood. As breakneck as some parts of scientific advances are or can seem, much of the process of discovery really does move quite slowly, especially when compared to particles being accelerated to almost the speed of light. Well, that's going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.